0: Welcome to Exchange Church, where we desire to connect and grow people in Jesus. Thanks for listening to our Bible message today, and feel free to share it around. Okay, today um, we are starting a new series uh, in the first book of Timothy, uh, a book out of the New Testament. Uh, Maybe just to help set the scene though, as we go there. Anybody heard of Stephen Covey, an American author? One hand went up. Okay, good. Uh, Stephen Covey Covey is an American author, a bit of a leadership guru, and he's uh, written a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, One of his quotes is this The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. You probably all heard that quote as well. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. It's really easy to get distracted in this world uh, and lose sight of the main thing. What is the big thing that we're supposed to be doing? Well, that's partly what we're going to see here with the churches in Ephesus, uh, where they're at. They've lost sight of the main thing and they're getting actually secondary things and sometimes things that are just way off the planet in their focus as well. Uh, That's going to happen on 1 Timothy. They're getting distracted there, but we're going to see Paul write this letter to Timothy to pull them back on course for where they should be uh, keeping their focus on. So let's pray now as we begin to uh, open up this word. Father, we thank you that we're able to gather this morning. We thank you, Lord, for this uh, next part of our service where we worship you by opening up your word. Uh, We thank you, Holy Spirit, you have inspired the Bible from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that every word there is the word of God breathed out for us. The very words of God to teach us, save us, transform us and help us to live your glory fulfilled and satisfied lives we pray now as we at the outset of this series as we look at uh, this first letter that Paul has written to Timothy we pray that you would open our hearts up to see great and glorious things about the church uh, how to order the church well to see the church flourish and to see people become disciples and grow in the local church pray for your help now we ask that in your name Jesus amen So starting a new series, you would see there A Healthy Household is the title. You may be thinking, uh, wondering about that title. Is this a Better Homes and and Gardens lifestyle show, A Healthy Household? Well, I'll get to an explanation of the title in just a moment, but it's not Better Homes and Gardens Lifestyle Show. I can assure you that nothing wrong with that show if you want to learn a new few cooking recipes or whatnot. Uh, first, though, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote this letter to Timothy around about A.D. 65, 67, thereabouts, sometime then, which is about 30 plus years after Jesus Christ had been crucified upon the cross and then rose up from the third day in the resurrection back to life again. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. Paul met Jesus after the resurrection and is a commissioned Apostle, capital A Apostle, so the ones that actually saw Christ alive. And they were commissioned to take the teachings of Jesus Christ and to go and make disciples throughout all the world. So that's Paul's commissioned role there as an apostle. Uh, And the reality of of the resurrected Jesus and Paul meeting him radically transformed Paul's life. He was not the same again uh, at all after he met the resurrected Jesus. Prior to that, prior to meeting Jesus, Paul was striving what we would call for a works-based right standing to earn salvation... By obeying the law of God, he did everything he could. And actually, if you read through the book of Philippians, another letter that Paul wrote, he would tell us that he was blameless before the Lord according to the law. Now, they did sort of construe the law for their own purposes there, but he would say, I've kept the law without fault at that particular time. But Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and everything changed. Everything changed for Paul when he truly met who Christ is. Now, the reality, the, he, what he found out then, the reality is that only Jesus can offer us salvation and it can't be obtained at all, at all by all the good works I might do and might stack up on my resume. Can't get it. It's only by putting our trust and faith in the resurrected Jesus. So that's Paul. Uh, he's writing this letter now to Timothy. Uh, Timothy is a young man who's converted under the ministry of Paul, as Paul's been travelling around the Roman Empire uh, over those years. And then Timothy takes up this high and noble calling to become a minister of the gospel. Timothy's quite young. We're going to see a bit more of that as we go through the book of Timothy. So he takes up this calling here to become a, uh, a minister of the gospel. Let me just divert for one second. We're going to come back this pretty big in the next couple of weeks, we need more Timothys. We need more Timothys. We need more men who will take up the high and noble calling of preaching the gospel. There's a desperate shortage out there for men who will step up and become ministers and take on the calling here, the high calling uh, of preaching the gospel. We need more Timothys. So today, uh, we'll do an intro for this book, sort of set the scene here, lay out its purpose and its occasion. And then we're going to finish on verse 15, where uh, this profound statement that Paul makes, and you've got to pick that up before and we'll come back to it uh, shortly. Uh, here's where we're going to go though. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's by, the te- it's by the solid teaching of the gospel that people will be saved. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and it's by the solid teaching of the gospel that people will be saved. We're going to see this echoed through the book of uh, 1 Timothy as we go through that. Okay, let's jump in. This letter we're looking at today is known as a pastoral letter. If you've read, if you've got a study Bible, you might see there in your introduction to this letter, it, it'll tell you it's a pastoral letter and what we mean by that is this, it's not written to a church as such. If you, Other letters like Galatians, Corinthians, Colossians, um, uh, Ephesians, they're written to the churches in that area where this time Paul is writing to a particular person. We have what we call three pastoral letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy and Titus. They're actually written to an individual here uh, on leading a church. Now, having said that, Paul doesn't say, look, write the letter and just keep it to yourself, Timothy. The whole idea of the letter here is, Timothy, you got this letter, you publicly read this letter now to the church. So it's not just for Timothy as such, it's really helpful for Timothy, but it's for the whole church. It's for the whole church. Maybe a pastoral letter, but it's for the whole church. Here's what Paul did. Uh, when commissioned by Jesus to preach the gospel, Paul went around the Roman world of that day and planted churches. Uh, you'll see there perhaps uh, three, but I think, think there's at least four missionary journeys, but we've got sort of three written about in the book of Acts. Paul went around the Roman world there. He proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ into various cities and synagogues and wherever he might be to sort of find people who were willing to listen to what he had to say. Uh, the Holy Spirit would work through that word that Paul was Preaching, proclaiming, sharing, communicating. And the Holy Spirit would actually open up the eyes spiritually for people to understand what Paul was saying and then to believe who Jesus was, that he truly was the saviour to take away the sin of the world and they were saved as they put their faith and their trust in him. Paul then gathers these new believers as he's going about on this missionary journey and speaking in the synagogues and all these places, gathers these new believers into churches, bodies of people, to grow and mature in their faith and also to go on and make more disciples. He didn't just, okay, you've you've believed my message here at the synagogue or wherever he happened to be speaking and he just left them. No, Paul gathered them then into churches. And we can see in Acts 14.23, we can bring that up there for you. Uh, Paul appoints, uh, let's read that. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That's just a bit of a snapshot there what Paul was doing. Planting churches and that time also appointing elders to lead those churches so they could actually grow and flourish in the gospel. What we see there just in that particular verse and echo right through the book of Acts is really important for us to understand 1 Timothy. Understanding that Paul planted churches... And he appointed elders to lead the churches so that that they would grow and flourish. This is God's plan uh, for the followers of Jesus, to grow and flourish and also to carry out the, the mission of making more disciples. And the plan is it's through the local church. That's what Paul did around the New Testament world. The local church is a body of people who gather regularly meeting in person to grow in the gospel. This is a local church here this morning, gathering together in person, meeting around the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. A local church where we know each other, where we have transparent relationships with each other, where we understand each other. This is what a local church is. A local church is a body of people where we don't have to perform in front of each other to impress each other. A local church is not about that. It's not about trying to impress people. It's not about trying to perform to make myself look bigger or better in front of people. That's not what the local church is about. We don't have to perform that way. We just come as we are. The local church is made up of people who understand that each of us is broken. We're all broken. And each of us is a work in progress. We're not there yet. We're still getting there. So we don't need to perform each of us also understands the Holy Spirit's working inside of us, being renewed and changed and transformed into the image of Jesus. That's the local church. We understand that the local church is where the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, uses our relationships with each other to bring out the best in us, to be encouraged by that and to praise Jesus when we see that stuff happening in our lives. But it's also at the same time where the Holy Spirit refines the worst of us in our sinful brokenness that comes out in these relationships as well, to refine that from us as well. So it's, it's the good and the bad. And, the, and God uses the church, the local church, gathering together to do that. This is God's plan and purpose. It's the local church. The Bible knows nothing of internet church or online church. That's not local church. Now, we were pushed in there a few years ago through COVID when we couldn't meet. Okay, we, we sort of said, well, this is church. Well, it sort of was church, but it really wasn't church. This is church gathered together. So if, if someone says, I do church online, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. There's no such thing as internet church. Having said that, though, we do record our sermons. And we do actually sometimes occasionally record the whole service as well. And we do that because some people are sick or ill and they just can't be there. So we give that as a resource where they can still be up to speed with where we are in the teaching of the Bible. And we use it also because sometimes people think, I wonder what happens inside that senior citizen's rooms at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Well, they can go to a website and they can click on it. They actually get to see a bit of a service. So it's got some advantages, but that's not church, what's happening online via YouTube. It's a recording of what we do. A local church is where we serve Jesus and each other and the local community around about us with the gifts and talents that Jesus has given to us. A local church is a place to serve and to be blessed in that serving Jesus and our others as well. It's a place of blessing as we learn to serve. The local church always has been and always will be God's people gathering together in person to grow in the gospel and keep carrying out the mission of the gospel. Let me say this, lovingly, if you think that you can grow as a follower of Jesus and not be connected to a local church, you're sadly mistaken. It won't happen. You'll be stunted Your version of church will be confined really in your own imagination. You will not be with other people rubbing up shoulders against them and being refined by those people. So if you think you can grow as a follower of Jesus and not be connected to a local church, it's not going to happen. Sadly, you're mistaken if you're thinking that way. Paul writes this letter to Timothy to help set the local churches in order to give them some organised structure As they grow, a church is planted as Paul planted a church and that church then by God's grace, it begins to grow. It's a bit like exchange planted just over 13 years ago, our 14th year we're clicking into that in in April, Uh, about 20 people were sort of coming for that first year Uh, and here we are now, we're sort of at the fun exciting times and relatively easy when it was 20 people, it was you know pretty organic and just happened but here we are now today, probably 100 plus here but there's probably 150 would call Exchange Church Home, it needs a bit more organising now, it needs a bit of structure so we we want to do that because we want to love and nurture people really well in the gospel. We can't sort of just do it off the back of a cigarette packet. If you know what I mean? Does anybody know what that saying means? You write a little plan on the back of the cigarette packet, and that's how you do it. I mean, probably not. Yeah, but I don't smoke. Okay, I don't smoke. Just in case you were thinking about that. It's a saying. It's a saying. I better change it though. We put plans and we put structure and we put organisation in place. Now, structure's not a bad thing unless it becomes the main thing. If the church is all about its structure and all about its order and all about its processes, well, okay, we're losing the focus then. But order and structure and processes that actually support the main thing is good. It's efficient. Paul is writing to Timothy to make sure that order and structure are in place to aid the growth of the gospel in Ephesus. Now it's not in chapter 1, but we're going to skip across to chapter 3, and really this is going to encapsulate like, the theme of 1 Timothy. Have a look here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 14, 15. Paul says to Timothy, I hope to come to you soon. So he's away somewhere. I hope to come to you soon, Timothy, but I'm writing these things to you so that here's why I'm writing these things to you, Timothy. If I delay... You may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So, Timothy's telling us there, I'm sorry, Paul's telling us here, this is why I'm writing this letter to Timothy. This is how one should behave. This is where right order and structure is in the household. I'm writing this for you, Timothy, so you understand what is the right behaviour or the right order or the right structure you can put in place for the church. That is the theme of uh, of this letter here from Paul to Timothy. Now, look at that picture there. Here, Paul pictures the church as a household. And We're sort of leaning back to our sermon series totally, a healthy household. What is a household? What is that image there? Well, it's it's the picture like of a family home, isn't it? The household. That's what the church is. It's the family of God. It's a spiritual family. Not so much a blood family, where we're related by blood, but we are related by the blood of Christ. It's a spiritual family. God saves us. God adopts us into his family. We are the sons and daughters of God the Father. And we are placed into a household, a church, a body of people. Now we know in normal natural families, they need household. They need order and structure, don't they? In a natural family, for things to run smoothly and to be a healthy fashion, you need order and structure in a normal family. I'm sure the kids would like a free-for-all, sort of organic, you-do-you situation in family. Like, just, just let us set the rules. A bit like, it's okay, Mum. I'll work out the best time for me to go to bed, says the six-year-old. Mm. You wouldn't say that would Geordry? No, good, I like that. Good response. Mum and Dad are each side of you there. Or, it's okay, Dad. I can manage the iPad. I know when to switch it off. I know when enough's enough, says the eight-year-old. That's not going to happen, is it? It'll only switch off when the battery runs out, but then it'll probably go and plug it back in the power button and keep going. It doesn't happen like that. We know that in a natural family, you've got to have order and structure for it to run run efficiently and be healthy. God's no different when it comes to his church. He knows what's best for his church, for it to be healthy and to flourish and to grow. And that's exactly what God wants. He wants the local church to have the right structure in order for it to be a healthy household, a healthy family, a healthy family of God growing in the gospel and continuing on mission to see more people saved and rescued to be brought into that family. So Paul writes to Timothy here to help him put good order and structure in the church so that it can be healthy and strong. That's why... Timothy's a really good book for us to study together. It's not just for back then, it's for today as well, as we have this local body here. We see here how God wants to put order and good structure in place in the household of God to grow a strong exchange church, to grow a strong local church here, as well as other churches in shepherds can also apply the principles and the truths out of 1 Timothy, so they grow strong and healthy as well. Through this, we're going to see a whole range of stuff. Next week, we're going to talk about gender roles. That's a pretty tricky one to work through. Then we're going to talk about authority roles beyond that because Paul touches on all these things through 1 Timothy and then caring for others and a whole range of other things. Paul's actually hitting some big cultural issues for us over these next couple of weeks. 1 Timothy's trying to put this good thing in place so that we can flourish and grow as a local church. Now, that's a long introduction, isn't it? Okay? That's not, you know, I'm not, now let's start the sermon. Not at all. Let's move on. The thing that Paul wants to deal with first here with the, uh, the, um, at Ephesus, where Timothy is, is false teachers who are teaching a false gospel. Um, hence where Hannah was before. Have a look in First Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Paul's sort of jumping straight into and this is really interesting actually what Paul does if you read his other letters to churches there's a long introduction and a long thankfulness Uh, in this book here Paul just jumps straight into it like here's the issues here's what he says in verses three and four as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia remain at Ephesus Timothy stay there So what are you going to do, Timothy? So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Timothy, you're the man who's in charge here at Ephesus. Now, there's more than one church in Ephesus. When when this is written, There's probably, they believe, maybe up to four or five house churches. And when we think of house churches, don't think of maybe two or three families getting together. It's quite conceivable that maybe between 100 to 200 people were gathering together in these house churches. They actually had a courtyard. If everybody stood up, you could probably nearly fit 200 people into those households. So don't just think, oh, 20 people, three or four families. No, this is 100 to 200 people gathering in these house churches. So he says there again, that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. It's going wrong in Ephesus. They're not keeping the main thing the main thing. They're getting caught up in all these other, some of them would say fringe things or peripheral things, and some aren't even on the radar at all. That's what's happening here in Ephesus and Paul, uh, Paul's saying, charge them, tell them, stop it, don't do that. There's teachers there, who are f- false teachers who are getting around the churches in Ephesus teaching another gospel, a false gospel. They're getting carried away with all sorts of myths and stories of no consequence and making that the main thing of what they teach uh, in their gatherings on Sundays. And they did actually gather on Sundays. They gathered on the uh, first day of the week on the Lord's Day, which is the Sunday. Uh, they're getting into speculations, theories of their own making, just fantasising these things in their mind or seeing something here and just letting it just go crazy in their imagination. Uh, these are things not, that are not based on facts but are speculative theories. And they're giving long sort of teachings on that. And they're making that the main thing, these speculations, these theories. And in verse 7 we see this also, that they desire to be teachers of the law, these ones that Timothy's charged to talk to, but they've got no idea what they're talking about, Paul says. They have no idea what they're talking about. They're supremely confident about what they're saying, but they've got no idea what they're talking about when they try and talk about the law. And they, they spruik it out so confidently, so smoothly, says Paul. But still, his words, they've got no idea what they're talking about. And people are buying into it. Some of the people attending these house churches, that sounds good. I'll, I'll have some of that. And Paul's saying, no, no, they're, they're missing the boat with this. It's a false gospel leading people up a garden path to a dead end, he would say. Paul's probably thinking, and it sounds like a works-based salvation because they're talking about the law, about you need to keep all of the law, probably thinking the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments and other laws, you need to keep all of that to be accepted by Jesus. And Paul's going to say straight away, no way, you're missing it, you're missing the mark. And Paul tells us in verses 8 and 10 there that the law is primarily there to reveal to us our sinful condition. And we listed a whole range of things there that the law is for those people who carry out those things. The law can't possibly save us. You can go back to some of Paul's other writings and he says it's impossible for us to keep the law. Our hearts are sinful, our hearts are broken. We can't do that. The the law will never save us. And that's not the gospel that Jesus gave us about keeping the law. That's not the gospel that Jesus taught Paul. It wasn't about that at all. It's a false gospel. So Timothy's charged there by Paul, tell them to stop it. Tell them to stop doing this. Because a false gospel will only do this. It'll bring no order and no good structure to the church. A false gospel will save nobody. And a false gospel will grow nobody in Christ. It won't happen. A false gospel will not truly grow a church. You may grow numbers with a false gospel. You might get lots of people coming in the door because you're saying all these really nice smooth things. But you're not truly growing disciples of Christ who are believing in Jesus and putting their trust in him entirely. The only thing a false gospel will do is deceive people into a false sense of security with no heart change whatsoever. They'll end up believing lies and they'll just believe themselves into a false sense of security. That's not what God wants for the local church. God desires that the local church have order and structure around, centred on, the rock-solid truth of sound doctrine as revealed in the gospel. You'll hear that word a bit through First Timothy because Paul's going to hammer away at this and say, we've got to get this right. We can't have people believing in lies that will not save them. It's the gospel that saves. It's the gospel that grows us. It's the gospel at the end of the day that makes the household of God healthy and grow strongly. Now, you might be asking the question what's the gospel? Well, Paul follows us on and he actually gives us here a really succinct picture of the gospel. He actually talks about his own testimony here for the remaining part of this first chapter. And he actually highlights for us the true gospel and how it works in our hearts. And he points to this mainly in verse 15. So have a look at verse 15 where he says this. Uh, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, Paul says. Timothy, you can trust this statement. It deserves full and total acceptance, Timothy. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, Paul says. Paul would say, Timothy, this is the gospel. Timothy, this is a beautiful and life-giving statement, if we can just grasp this truth, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, says Paul. As we said before, before uh, Paul met Jesus, he claimed to be blameless in the law. Before God, he thought he was blameless. In his own contorted and twisted way, Paul wouldn't have seen himself as a sinner, Not in the slightest. He would say, I'll just bring it into our terms, I go to church every week, Paul would say. He would also say, I I put a few dollars in the offering as well. I do that too. And I help out my next door neighbour. And whenever she or he needs a hand, I'm straight over the fence and I'll help them out. I do that. And I generally keep my nose out of trouble, Paul would say. I'm not a sinner. Paul thought he was a really, really, really good person by his own measurements. That was until he truly met Jesus, the Son of God, on that road to Damascus. Paul then discovered something about himself. Paul then discovered his heart was corrupt through and through. He had the appearance of doing all these good things, but he knew what the heart motivation was behind that appearance. It was corrupt. And he knew then, as he met this Jesus, that no amount of good deeds would pay the price of his sin or ever change his corrupt heart. It might appear nice in front of other people, but it was never going to pay the price of his sin or change his corrupt heart. You see, today as we think about what Paul's saying here, that Christ came to save sinners, we need to think there's actually two types of sinners today. There are those who, who don't think they're sinners. They think that they're not that bad when they compare themselves to others. But we know the Bible tells us and clearly states to us that every single person comes into this world with a sinful heart. It's inclined away from the Lord, not towards the Lord. It's inclined away from the Lord. Every person born in this world has an inward disposition, an inward attitude an inward sort of bent on life which is antagonistic towards God. Which is actually, the Bible would say, as an enemy to God. God wants me to do this and I just go the other way. That's the inner disposition of every single human being born in this world. Take stock of your own thoughts sometimes when you do good things, perhaps kind actions for other people. Think like this, or do you think like this, as you're doing this kind action for your neighbour over the fence? I hope that person over there is watching what I'm doing now as I help this person here because I like to be noticed for this good action that I'm doing. I just, a little thought that zips through her mind when I'm helping them. I hope that person over there sees what I'm doing and thinks I'm a really good person for helping them out. What is that? That's pride. That's me wanting to get noticed for my good action, my good deed. Nothing wrong with doing the good deed but when that thought comes through my mind that I hope I get noticed for doing this, I hope out of the corner of my eye I can see that neighbour there and I hope they're seeing me do this, it's reflecting pride in my heart here at this point in time that I'm trying to inflate me. That shows us there the corruption of our own hearts. Even in doing a good deed, we're hoping to be noticed by someone else for doing that. And when it's like that, we're a bit like Paul. We think we're okay. We We deceive ourselves. But we're still sinning. We're still falling short of God's glory, God's standard of holiness before him. That's where Paul was prior to meeting Christ. Two types of sinners. The other type of sinners are those who know that they are sinners, but that God would never accept them because they're just too far gone. They've just done too much rough stuff in their life and God would never come after them. Well, this verse from Paul is especially helpful for those who think they're sinners or who know they're sinners and they're too far gone in their own minds. What does Paul say in that verse? Paul says, I'm the foremost sinner. I'm the worst of all sinners, Paul says. I'm the chief of all sinners, Paul says. He actually could say, I'm the lead sinner of all sinners, Paul could say. If you want to see somebody as a sinner, look at me, Paul would say. That's me. That's where I am. What did Paul do? Paul went about, in the name of God, persecuting followers of Jesus. So in God's name, thinking he's doing a service for God, he's going out and carrying out all sorts of carnage. Have a look in verse 13. He says there at the start, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. That's not going to go well in your CV, is it? If you're applying for a job. He's just being real about himself. He was insolent. He was brazen, bold and brash, opponent of God, opposing God. As he made a mockery of Jesus and actually killing some of Jesus' followers. Now he goes on to say that he acted in ignorance and unbelief, but that's he realised then he was sinning against the Lord. A blasphemer, a persecutor and an insolent, Opponent. But Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He saved me, says Paul, the worst of all. Not because of anything Paul had done or could do or could ever do or who he was, because he was the worst person ever. He's already told us who he is, not because of Paul at all. Look at the words that Paul now begins to use here as he reflects on this salvation that Jesus has given. Look in verse 13, the end of that. But I receive mercy. And he follows on in verse 14. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Grace, love of the Lord. Verse 16 again, he says, but I receive mercy. Nothing to do with Paul in trying to earn his way or impress his way or make his way there. It's about mercy and it's about grace and it's about love. See, Paul's salvation serves to show us, whoever you might be today, you are not too far gone for salvation. Don't ever think the bus has left and I'm not on it. It's too late. Todd, if you only knew what I've been up to, Todd, if you only knew the disgraceful things that I've done and I've thought towards others. Todd, if you only knew what my life has got hidden in those back recesses that nobody else knows about. If you only knew, Todd, about the hatred and the bitterness that flows out of my heart, both out of mouth and word, how vile it's been, and even in the moment when I've been filled with hatred and bitterness towards others, how I couldn't have been more proud of myself and the way I paid out in those people. Todd, if you only knew what's in my backstory. Todd, if you only knew how much I couldn't give a rip about other people and how much I hurt them. If you only knew that, it's a bridge too far for me to be saved. It's not going to happen, Todd. You're the person who Jesus precisely came for. If he saved the foremost sinner in Paul, then you're in good company with Jesus. Because it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Nobody's too far gone. It's about reaching out in faith. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace. This is the mercy and the grace that Paul is talking about here. This is the message the Holy Spirit uses to save people. It's not about me. I'm just the messenger. It's the message that the Holy Spirit works with. And this is where the local church needs to be, to be built on the solid doctrine of the gospel. Jesus came into the world to save people sinners it's us understanding our biggest problem in life is me and my biggest problem within me is my sinfulness my fallenness, my brokenness that I inflict upon everybody else I'm the biggest problem in my life, not you you may contribute to my problems sometimes but it's me, I'm the core of the problems in my life Jesus comes to save us and to transform us. Jesus comes to die upon the cross, bearing our sins to purchase our forgiveness. The Holy Spirit takes that message, gives birth to faith, to belief. I believe who Jesus is. Maybe yesterday I didn't believe, but today I do believe who Jesus is. He gives me a new heart now for a life of transformation, to know the love and the mercy of Christ and to walk in that. And this is what Paul wants the churches in Ephesus to get back on track with, the gospel, the true gospel. And he's going to break it out in other ways, but this is what he wants to get back on track with, to keep the main thing, the main thing, where these false teachers are just diverting off on all these other rabbit trails and they're leaving the path here. Where does that sit with you today as we think about that? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Are you like Paul? Everything's all sweet with God, between me and God. It's all good, because I'm a good person. Is that you? What do you think? No, the boat sailed. It's too late for me. I'm too far gone. Jesus would never want a person like me. Are you thinking like that? I want us to stop now close our eyes, bow our heads and just in a a few moments of silence just examine our hearts and think, where am I sitting on that line? Where am I sitting? Let's take a few moments to do that now. Father, we thank you uh, today for the glorious truth of the gospel. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. God, if we can just grasp that, that is life-giving for us. That is our only lifeline. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Holy Spirit, I pray today, would you take those words, would you take the truth of who Christ is and do only what you can do. Open up blind eyes. Open up deaf ears to see Christ and to hear Christ. And I pray, would you bring to birth, Lord, people to truly know Christ and to experience his glorious forgiveness. All sin, past, present and future, nailed to the cross. The debt is cancelled. We are now called a son or daughter of Christ of God as we put our trust in Christ. Holy Spirit, would you do that work, please? Let them know the joy of salvation with a new heart. Father, today we ask and pray that in Jesus' name and for his glorious name, Lord. Amen. We hope you found today's talk challenging and fruitful. Don't hesitate to get in touch by visiting our website or sending us an email. But we'd love for you to join us in person as well.